Welcome to the BSN Nuggets podcast presented by Inwego, Denver's best subscription that allows you to go to as many events as you can for only $39 a month with no additional costs or fees. You heard that right. No additional fees. Literally hundreds of events for $39 a month. For instance, over the next few weeks, you could hit up Nuggets vs. Jazz at Pepsi Center on Saturday, Beer Flights at Prost Brewing, Avalanche vs. Predators, Seer vs. Washington State, countless comedy shows at Comedy Works. There's literally something for everyone. If it's going on in Denver, there's a good chance that InWeGo can get you in. Here's where it gets good. We've partnered with InWeGo to give BSN listeners a great deal. So if you go to InWeGo.com backslash BSN or download the app for free and use promo code BSN50 when you subscribe, you're going to get 50% off your first month. All events in Denver for under 20 bucks during your first month. Can't beat that. Try it and fall in love with it like we all did. So again, InWeGo.com backslash BSN or download the app for free and use promo code BSN50. Welcome in to the BSN Nuggets podcast presented by InWeGo. Joined by a special guest, Mason Plumwell. I thought he was going to knock that ref out in L.A. <laughs> Coaches will get testy with officials, but to run out onto the court and yeah. cut him off, yeah. I've never seen that before. You should have taken a charge on him. That <laughs> a special guest, Darrell Arthur. When did you first realize Nicole Jokic was good? He was in Philadelphia for Jameer's kind of like team bonding thing, and I knew it right away that he was going to be good. He was making great passes and good reads and stuff like that, and I said, this kid's going to be good. He's turned out to be a star. He has a great upside to him, and I know he'll be a Hall of Famer once he's done playing. And now, here's your hosts, Harrison Wind and Christian Clark. As always, the BSN Nuggets podcast is presented by InWeGo, the subscription that can get you into almost any event in Denver. Friday edition of the show, Harrison Wind and Christian Clark here recording today from Sports Column. That's where we're at, Sports Column in downtown Denver. If you haven't checked them out, great spot to watch all your Nuggets games, all your Avalanche games. Great spot probably to watch the Broncos this weekend, all your college sports too. They got a ton of great TVs, great beer on tap, great food as well. And that's where we are at today. So this is our last podcast before the Nuggets host the Jazz on Saturday. And then we'll talk about that game on the Monday edition of the show. But I just want to gauge your excitement level for this game on Saturday against the Jazz. Probably the highest profile opponent other than the Warriors who have come to Pepsi Center so far this year. I mean, on a scale of 1 to 10, what's how hyped are you for this game? Uh, probably eight and yeah. seven of those points are because I get to see my man Joe Ingles play live. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Joe Ingles will be here. Rudy Gobert will be here. Donovan Mitchell, he should be here. The Jazz are playing tonight against the Grizzlies. I don't think he's playing, so maybe he'll be playing. But for me, the excitement level of this game is a similar excitement level that I had when the Nuggets hosted the Pelicans before the news came out that Anthony Davis wasn't playing. That would have been a really high-profile matchup, a really good measuring stick-tight game for Denver. I think this game against Utah has the ability to be a similar game where Denver can really judge themselves and be like, okay, no, this is the type of team we are. If, if they can beat Utah at home, and I know Donovan Mitchell's a little banged up, Utah has looked a little shaky out of the gates, but doesn't this seem like a measuring stick type game? 
Yeah, I, I would I would say that it does. I mean, the Jazz have had playoff success two years in a row. Um, they're going to be an elite defensive team once again. It'll be interesting to see if Denver's you know inconsistent offense, I'll say, um, can can get going against them. I thought there were a lot of encouraging signs in that Cavs game for Denver's offense, but. Yeah, man, it's going to be a lot of fun. Well, it's going to be a test for Denver's offense, too, because we know the Jazz defense is for real. They've been, like, middle of the pack this year, I believe, but we know when it counts, that team is going to lock down on the defensive end of the floor. So if Denver could figure their offense out, and, yeah, there were some signs that they took some steps to figure things out against Cleveland, and we'll talk about that a little bit, but if they could have a productive offensive game against the likes of the Jazz, against Rudy Gobert, against Joe Ingles, that's going to pose well for them down the line. Do you think the average basketball fan thinks Rudy Gobert is better than Nikola Jokic? Do you think Rudy Gobert is better than Nikola Jokic? No. I think Nikola Jokic is better than Rudy Gobert right now. Okay. I mean, the average basketball fan, they'd probably slot Rudy Gobert slightly ahead of Nikola Jokic. But I think people that know the game, that we trust, that are considered smart basketball minds, I I think it's a toss-up, and I think a lot of them would go with Jokic. I think I would probably go Jokic by a hair. I mean, I, I know Tony Jones, he covers the Jazz, so that probably warps your opinion if you just watch every game of theirs for years and years. But I saw him you know, going on, saying on Twitter that Rudy Gobert is cl- clearly a better player than Nikola Jokic at this point, and I think there's a case to be made that that's true. I mean, I personally think that Jokic is – a hair better. I mean, if you're just picking one of those players and your goal to win, to win, is to win as many of 82 games as possible, I think Jokic is going to get the job done for you more oftentimes than not. I'd agree. In this day and age, it might seem like a uh, kindergarten-level argument here, but I'd rather offense than defense, to be quite honest. Yeah, me too, man. I mean, offense, I don't know how much, maybe not that much, but offense is more important than defense too, in my opinion. I think it is, too. I think it is, too. So here's what we're going to do on today's show. We'll play a little game called Fact or Fiction. Some observations from the first eight games of the season, and you know, we'll try to decipher if these observations and these takes are real or if they're fake. Uh, first, though, we got a question from the Total Beverage Fan Hotline to get us into this discussion from Corey about the Nuggets defense and if their great defense is potentially hurting their offense. Hello, this is Corey from Florida. Just, an, I guess, an observation on what we're seeing with the Nuggets so far. They've won a lot of tough games, close games. First game against the Clippers, against the Bulls, and uh, some some other games thrown in there that we've been able to win, like against the Warriors, some big games like that. Now, we wouldn't have won two years ago, as you mentioned on yesterday's podcast. So, what I was looking at was why is their offense struggling? Why is why is it so stagnant at the beginning of games? I was thinking maybe because of the defensive effort and the energy that our starters have to put forth on defense, it's affecting their offense, and they're not used to playing both sides of the floor this way. Do you think that that is something that is occurring that they're expending so much energy on defense that it's it's hurting their offense a little bit. Should we be okay with a more balanced view of how the Nuggets are playing and, and expect more games where 
we don't just explode, but we, we play well enough to win. Um, more so in like the Cleveland game recently. So do you think our defense is hampering our offense a little bit, but not to the detriment of the of our of wins and losses, but helping us to get these close games won? Thank you. Thanks for the question, Corey. And I want to remind you guys, if you have questions for the show, 1-800-BSN-8394 is the number you need to call. Best time to call in after games. Get in those questions quick before we record those post-game podcasts. 1-800-BSN-8394. Write that number down. Put it in your phone. Save it as the Total Beverage Fan Hotline in your contacts. So you can give us a call after every game and share your take or your observations from that night. When it comes to the question of if the Nuggets defense is hurting their offense, look, I don't think that's the reason the Nuggets offense hasn't clicked so far. I I think that could have something to do with it, but it's well down the laundry list of reasons why the Nuggets haven't clicked on offense. I think Torrey Craig even said something that was pretty enlightening on that subject said something along the lines of, yeah, I'm defending the best player every game, and it tires me out. And so I go down on the offensive end, and I don't have as much energy as I did if I wasn't defending the best player. And something else the Nuggets have been saying is, what's clicked about the defense this year when you ask them? A lot of guys will just say, we're trying, which is a pretty honest answer and a pretty enlightening answer when looking at what's gone on over the past few years. So... I guess if you're trying more on defense, you're not going to have as much energy on offense. There could be a little something there, but I don't think that's nearly even close to the top or the middle of the list of things that are hurting the Nuggets on offense right now. That's an interesting theory. Uh, I've heard Paul Millsap actually say something similar to to what Torrey Craig said, that if you're expending more effort on the defensive end than it takes away a tiny little bit from what you can do on offense. So, I mean, maybe there's a little something to that. But, yeah, I mean, I think the Nuggets' issues offensively, you know, just, just start with the fact that a lot of guys who normally make threes aren't making threes right now. Um, the quality of shots that they're generating, I, I think, are overall pretty good, to, to be honest with you. I mean, I, I kind of think that, you know, if, if they just get off to, like, a good start in one of these games, then they would have that rhythm over the course of the entire game. They, they just need to see a few go in. Um, they've lacked energy on, on offense at times. But, yeah, I mean, I think it's mostly just a matter of not making shots. I don't think there's really, you know, anything complicated behind it. Yeah, well, that's a good transition. Thanks for the question, Corey. And, again, if you guys have questions for the show, one eight hundred bsn eight three nine four the Total Beverage Fan Hotline, 1-800-BSN-8394. If you've never called before, all it is is an answering machine. So leave your name, leave where you're calling from, leave a hot take about the Nuggets for us, and we'll play it on the show. So let's get into fact or fiction, and I'll go off of what you just said there. Fact or fiction, the Nuggets are no longer a good three-point shooting team. I mean, I I think that's fiction. I think the Nuggets are going to be a good three-point shooting team over the long haul. Right now, they're they're shooting at 30.4%. That's second to last in the league. Some of their heavy hitters are are just not connecting right now. Gary Harris is currently shooting 27% from three-point land. You know, if you average Gary Harris's 2016-17 and 2017-18 seasons, you get uh, about 40% 
conversion rate from three on five attempts per game. So, you know, he's a 40% shooter over the last two years, really, uh, on a high volume of attempts. We know Gary Harris is a for real three-point shooter. I mean, at the very least, I think that three-point percentage is going to end up in the high 30s at towards the end of this year. Jamal Murray, a guy who shot 37.8% from three on 5.4 attempts last year, a fair number of attempts. He's not shooting it like himself. He's making about a quarter of his threes right now. I think we even saw him pass up some shots in that Cavs game. He got a little gun shy, which is just really strange to see from Jamal Murray. But last year, December was the month when he just caught fire. I think he's going to have uh, you know, a stretch of 10 or 15 games like that again this year. And then the last guy is Trey Lyles. Trey Lyles shot 38% for three-point land last year. He's at 12.5% right now. He's got... He's just three for 24. I mean, I, I don't know if Trey Lyles is going to be like a high 30 shooter, but I'm pretty sure he's like at least a mid 30 shooter from, from three-point range. I mean, he's got a decent stroke for sure. So three uh, of probably, you know, three of the best outside shooters on the roster just are, are ice cold right now. And no, I don't expect that to continue. I would agree. I think that statement is pure fiction too. I believe the Nuggets are a good three-point shooting team. This is the team who shot 37% from three last year. That was the seventh best mark in the league. And hey, we've talked about the continuity on this roster. They pretty much returned their entire rotation from last season. So I don't think the three-point rate that they're knocking down shots at right now is going to stick. The only team they're shooting better than from three is the Oklahoma City Thunder, who have like two capable outside shooters on that entire roster. If the Nuggets were to drop below the Thunder, that would be a really bad sign. But it's so ironic, isn't it, that in a year and in a league that's seeing historical offensive numbers being posted, where point totals are up, pace is up, because of freedom of movement, and, and I mean scoring is up because of the freedom of movement rules and whatnot, the Nuggets who have made a living on the offensive end of the floor over the past two years just can't find a rhythm. It's so ironic and it's blasphemous. Well, it's hilarious too because, look, this is a very talented roster, and I would say the number one skill, 1 through 15, is shooting. Yeah, I would say that's this team's biggest strength. There are just so many guys on this team who can stroke it? Um, I mean, Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, Will Barton has turned himself into a pretty good three-point shooter. He's not, he's not around right now. Paul, Mil Paul Millsap is an average three-point shooter. Nicole Jokic, really, really good three-point shooter. ton of guys off the bench. I mean, do you think that's the, the best skill of this roster, top down? I think it's shooting, and I, I believe that's what this front office has targeted in the draft. And... Uh, you know, to a lesser respect, I guess, in free agency over the past couple of years. But, yeah, shooting has been a priority for this front office, like I said, when looking at players to fill out this roster with. And, yeah, it, most people on this team are average to above-average three-point shooters. So, yeah, it's shocking how bad they've been. A quick aside, and this is related to, you know, Juancho Hernan Gomez catching fire against the Cavs. I don't think I get, you know, if one Nuggets player goes off, you know, it, I don't get any. I get the most enjoyment out of it if it's Wancho. I would say. Well, Wancho's like just such a fun player to watch. There's nothing more fun than seeing Wancho just catch fire. I guess I would say. Wancho's so fun to watch, and I spoke about this a little on Thursday's show that I recorded after the game. 
he's a guy that makes it really easy to root for him. He, he's such a hard worker, and I don't know if you heard his post-game comments to Chris Dempsey, but Chris asked him about not playing in Chicago and just staying ready. And Wancho had this great response that was like, you know, this is the team. We've been the same group for three years, same coach for three years. It's not about me. It's just about the team. And uh, he's such a great teammate, too. And he just loves being a Denver Nugget. And you got to think his teammates are thrilled for him also. Yeah, I totally agree with that. It's 100% real. I mean, even if you just go and talk to Wancho at practice, no, no cameras in his face, it doesn't matter what you ask him. He's going to somehow figure out a way to work in the word team. I've never seen him in a bad mood. Even when he could barely get out of bed last year when he had mono, pretty sure he still walked in to shoot around every morning with a smile on his face, like jumping up and down, jumping on people's backs and like playing jokes on people. I've never seen the guy in a bad mood. But back to the shooting. It's crazy because they've struggled so much with their three-point shot, yet the Nuggets are still the 12th best offense in the league, right? Like that's a ranking that the Magic or the Hawks or the Suns would absolutely die for. The biggest area where I can see them and why they've struggled from three is how poorly they've shot on wide-open threes. I spoke about this last week, but it's still been the case. Like Denver's hitting just 32.5% of their wide-open shots per NBA.com. That's 27th in the league, and that's when the closest defender is at least six feet away. Last season... Denver hit 41.5% of those shots. That was the third best mark in the league. So that's the biggest reason to me why they're missing so many threes. They're just not hitting the open shots. They're generating good looks. All the advanced numbers, all the second spectrum numbers that you look at show that the quality of shots that they're generating are great. They're just not going in. And we've talked about how the defense might correct itself over the next couple months. You got to think the shooting is going to correct itself too over the next couple months. So I think this is totally fiction. It is just crazy to me how in a league where everybody's hitting, we're against the Bulls, Drew Holiday, or sorry, Justin Holiday will go 5-9 and nine from three, and Antonio Blackney will go 4-4 four four from distance. The Nuggets just can't find the range. Let's go ahead and take a break real quick. We'll be right back on the BSN Nuggets podcast. The biggest benefits of CBD are our cognitive, our neuroprotection, neuroregeneration, anti-inflammatory, and then a lot of the most common situations that, that people are taking it are for pain. That is Arthur Jaffe, a former CU Buffs football player and founder of Elixinol, a Colorado-based company focused on providing the highest quality of CBD oil and hemp extracts in the world. Like Arthur mentioned earlier, CBD has significant medical benefits and isn't limited to just athletes. Everyone can take it, from adults and children to even your dog. I wished I would have learned about it or that it would have been more prominent at a younger age to potentially have, have given my father a, a significant opportunity to fight prostate cancer, which ultimately took his life when I was 13. You know, I really think that it would have helped him. Arthur and the folks over at Elixinol's mission is to educate, inspire, and empower others to live naturally healthy, happy lives. To learn more and join the CBD conversation, check out Elixinol.com. Welcome back to the BSN Nuggets podcast presented by In We Go, Harrison Wynn, Christian Clark here, Friday edition of the show. We're recording today from Sportscom here in downtown Denver. Make sure to check these guys out if you're ever looking for a spot to watch 
a Nuggets game, an Avalanche game, maybe the Broncos game on Sunday, all your college sports too. Great TVs, great beer, great food as well. We're thankful for them hosting us here on this Friday afternoon. Let's continue this game of fact or fiction. Here's one I'll throw at you. The Nuggets are an elite defense. Is that fact or fiction? I'm going to say fiction, but I think they are somewhere between average and good on the defensive yeah. end, um, over the long haul at least. Denver right now, fourth in points allowed per 100 possessions. They're giving up just 102 per game. They've kept a bunch of their opponents in this early stretch under 100 points. Um, it's been really, really impressive. And, you know, coming into the season, I was I was kind of thinking Denver would, would somewhere finish the year somewhere around 20th in defensive efficiency. I think, you know, somewhere between 10 and 15 is very much within the realm of possibility. And, you know, you hit on this a little bit earlier, but I really do think the biggest change is the guys are just trying a lot harder. Like, it's Michael yeah. Mullen has gotten asked about the defense, you know, like 20 different ways this season, and he always says, like, I mean, it's not really the scheme, it's yeah. the effort. And he, I totally agree with him. He's been, like, fumbling through his thesaurus throughout the season. Yeah, there's more buy-in. There's more commitment. Like, all those are synonyms of just guys trying harder. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess Jokic isn't, like, you know, just chilling in the paint on the pick and roll. Like, yeah, there's he's not some exactly different with the hedging, scheme. But he's, like, he's a little more up and, and aggressive. But, you know, they're forcing way more turnovers. The rotations are so much quicker. You highlighted that Gary Harris yeah. play where he, he was, had two feet in the paint to help, and then he sprinted out to a corner three and just defended it beautifully. I mean, you didn't see sequences like that last year from, from the Denver Nuggets, those quick rotations like that. I mean, it, it just looks night and day. Right. There's some differences with the scheme, and we've highlighted those. Just a more aggressive scheme, trying to generate more steals. And they certainly have generated more steals here. The Nuggets are averaging 9.6 steals per game this year. Last year they averaged 7.6. So about two steals per game more. And you know, now they're at the top of the league in that category as compared to middle of the pack. Yeah, that's pretty significant. You know, I think where the Nuggets are still pretty prone to getting hurt is when they play those elite pick-and-roll players. And, you know, every team really is. They're, they're going to get hurt by the LeBrons, the Westbrooks, the Hardens, the CP3s of the world. But I think the Nuggets are going to get especially harmed by those guys just because you know I don't think the Nuggets have a lot of length they're they're kind of a, a smaller team and I think you just got to be able to you know cover a lot of ground or compensate for covering a lot of ground with your length when when you play those elite pick and roll players who can make that 30 foot pinpoint pass to a guy chilling in the corner definitely I agree with that for sure they haven't really faced that guy yet, have they? Well, they got they got sliced and diced by LeBron. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I guess, yeah, I guess he would fit into that category. Uh, maybe if James Harden is back. Actually, I don't think he'll be back for this next Rockets game, but he's the guy who also slices and dices the Nuggets defense. Here's something else I noticed about the Nuggets defense, and I don't know if you saw my tweet earlier this afternoon, but I highlighted a play from the Cavs game where Nicole Jokic got switched onto George Hill. And there was about 10, 15 seconds left in the shot clock, a ton of time for George Hill to go to work. And sure enough, he takes Jokic out beyond the three-point line, tries to put a couple dribble moves on him. Jokic stays right with him. Tries to go baseline behind him. Jokic cuts him off. 
the area where the Nuggets really wanted Nikola Jokic to work on this summer was obviously on defense, but specifically with his foot speed. And I don't know. I feel like he looks like a quicker guy throughout these first eight games. Is that crazy? No, I, I don't think it is at all. He's he's done a noticeably better job of defending guards and forwards when he gets switched onto him out of the pick and roll. I mean, noticeably better job of just containing and, you know, making them take that, that jumper and just getting a light contest in there instead of just getting blown by. He's, he's, there aren't as many blow-bys this year. It just seems like he's got quicker feet this year. His feet are, are just moving at a faster pace. I don't know if he's his quickness has actually improved or – somebody has just gotten the message across to him like you got to be in a stance all the time you got to always be moving your feet maybe that's helped well the funny thing about Jokic too is he's been pretty honest about the fact that I don't think he loves playing defense oh know? he hates it yeah he, he, does, hates he doesn't playing like playing defense, defense. <laughs> yeah. so here's what else I'm noticing on the defensive end of the floor and the stats kind of bear this out too what have we heard Michael Malone say this year in terms of what they want to stop on the defensive end. They want to limit their opponent threes. They want to limit their opponent shots at the rim. They want to get beat from the mid-range and, I guess, by contested shots all throughout the floor. I mean, that's what all teams want to get beat by. That's what all coaches will say. So here's a couple stats for you. This year, opponents are shooting 34.9% from three this season against Denver. Last year, opponents were shooting 37.8% from three versus the Nuggets. So they've improved there. That 37.8% mark that team shot last year against Denver, that was the worst in the league. Now they're more middle of the pack. Nuggets are also protecting the rim better. Opponents are shooting 61.2% in the restricted area this season against Denver compared to 64.6% a year ago. So they're defending the three better. They're defending the rim better. I think there might be a little noise to that three-point percentage because a lot of the advanced numbers show that the Nuggets are giving up a decent amount of corner threes, a decent amount of open threes. Maybe opponents just aren't hitting them at the rate they will, but the numbers are the numbers right now at least. You can talk about noise and how they'll correct themselves, but as of right now, they're defending the three better and they're defending at the rim better. So, I mean, two areas where the Nuggets wanted to improve defensively, they are. Yeah, I mean, I, if you look at their defense at the rim this year, I mean, I think we have to credit first and foremost Paul Millsap. Definitely. He, he's, I mean, he's he's really good at blocking shots. He, I mean, if you just look at, like, straight blocks per game, like, he's not one of the elite, elite NBA players, but he is one of the elite NBA players at tough contests, I think, and that's, that's a lot more difficult to quantify. But there are so many times when a dude just jumps and Millsap takes the impact in his chest and keeps his arms straight up in the air. He, he's so good at that. Yeah, uh, and, and just making life difficult. The verticality that Roy Hibbert made famous. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, he's got good hands, too, you know, poking balls away from guys. But Millsap is just a special defender. He, the way he's able to cover ground so fast. I mean, the way he's ever able to come over from the weak side and even defend out in the perimeter, too. I mean, he's just the whole package. Here's another stat on Jokic. Jokic is averaging a career-high 1.3 steals per, I believe this is per 48 minutes or per 100 possessions. He's also averaging 2.0 deflections per game, which is fifth among all centers in the league. Do you know who's first on the Nuggets in steals per 36 minutes? I don't know. The Plum Dog Millionaire. That was the in my Plum, post well, last he, week. He's had a great year. He has, he, man. He has had a great year. So, yeah, going back to the question, 
the Nuggets are an elite defense. I don't think they're elite, so I would say fiction, but I think the goal for them now is a league average defense, and anything short of a league average defense is probably a disappointment at this point, right? Yeah. I mean, I even if there is a little bit of noise in the numbers, they, they've taken noticeable strides in the defensive end. Let's move on here to our next topic. How about this one? Fact or fiction? The Nuggets will be able to get by without Will Barton. I mean, yeah, fact. They're they're five and one without Will Barton so far. Um, you know, averaging 111.6 points per 100 possessions w- without Barton, um, giving up 106 points per 100 possessions. I mean, look, it really, really hurts f- from an offensive standpoint. We've seen how much clunkier the Nuggets' offense looks w- with Torrey Craig in there. You know, Craig just has no confidence in his shot right now. He's not really putting the ball on the floor and attacking that way either. It's just so much – there's so much more strain on everybody else when that is the case. But there is more than enough depth on – I would say there's enough depth on this Nuggets team to, to, to get by for the next five weeks or whatever it is for sure. I agree. That's a fact for me. Although losing Will Barton hurts them in a major way, no doubt. Shooting – playmaking a trusted veteran to have on the floor at the end of games from a leadership standpoint in the locker room he hurts them in a lot of areas but yeah they'll be able to get by without him they would have won that Lakers game if they had Barton because you, you look at the things that hurt Denver in that game Jamal Murray was struggling you know handling the basketball and setting the offense up that's one area where Will Barton can, can step in and help he can do a bang right. up job and the other was they were just ignoring Torrey Craig and hey LeBron cannot leave Will Barton wide open in the corner because right. Will Barton can make him pay Right, right. You saw, you probably saw LeBron's eyes light up when he <laughs> saw the Nuggets coming down the floor while the Lakers were on defense and Torrey Craig was running right to where he was uh, stationed on the wing there. Wancho had a breakout game against the Cavs, of course. Those five threes, player of the game for sure, totally changed the game when he went in. I'm curious to get your thoughts on this because I kind of laid out what I thought about Wancho's performance on Thursday's show, but... Are you expecting him to be more of a consistent factor in this rotation after a night like that? Yeah, I do. Uh, Wancho got a DNP coach's decision against the Bulls. He played just eight minutes against the Pelicans, eight minutes against the Lakers. I think Wancho is just a much better fit with the starting unit than Torrey Craig for what he can bring to the table as a knockdown three-point shooter and his ability to just keep up the flow of the offense. I mean, that's, you know, right up there with his outside shooting is one of his best skills is he just keeps the ball moving and, and he's constantly cutting. Um, the Nuggets offense just looks like it has a lot more life when he's in there with the starter. So, yeah, I mean, especially with the way the Nuggets have kind of struggled at times offensively, I would expect him to get some heavy minutes against Jazz. Plays with so much joy, the same type of joy that Nikola Jokic does. Maybe it's that international joy, that international flair that those two guys have. But, yeah, it just kind of seeps out to other guys when they're playing. They just love playing the beautiful game. Like, to them, nothing is better than when, like, all five guys are working at one, it it seems like. God, I love the European game. So you (laughs) say you're expecting Wancho to play a more significant role. Does that mean he'll be in the starting lineup against the Jazz? Ooh, I mean, I think that he probably should after his last performance and with the way that Torrey Craig has been struggling I mean, I'm really curious to see what happens because, you know, 
I don't wouldn't blame Mike Malone for not changing a starting lineup, even <laughs> just with the way they've been winning. Even yeah, though they're seven and one, like yeah. why change it? And you know, if he changes it, he's gonna be like, "God damn it! I listened to that freaking podcast, and they told me to change it, and I did, and now we lost." Yeah, yeah. I mean, he might get a he could get a patch out in at the media, a, a playful shot. So I agree. I think he's by far the best fit with the starting lineup. He's such a quick decision maker. He's such a ball mover. You know, he's never holding the ball for a second or two when he gets it, like we've seen Malik Beasley do and like we've seen Torrey Craig do, and just kind of deciding what to do with it. He knows even before he catches it whether he's going to shoot, whether he's going to pass, whether he's going to attack. He's already got his mind made up. He sees the game one or two plays ahead, which is something that's really one of his best skills and something that kind of separates him from those two other guys. Also, his shooting... Uh, his movement off the ball, too, I think is an underrated off-the-ball mover in terms of his cutting and just, like, those crafty backdoor cuts that he's had throughout the years. Better than Malik Beasley, better than Torrey Craig in that regard. Will Mike Malone change things? No, I don't expect him to. I would be pretty shocked, actually, based on what he's had to say over the past week in terms of, yeah, Torrey's been in high-leverage moments for us. He's helped us win big games. I'm going to keep him in there, and I'm going to keep riding the hot hand between those three guys in terms of who's on the floor at the end of games. That's what he's been saying throughout the past week. That's what's been happening. So he's stuck to his word there. And, yeah, Torrey struggled a little bit. I think he's had some nice moments over the past couple games, especially doing the dirty work like he's done, scrapping on the offensive glass, getting some key rebounds for the Nuggets from time to time, and obviously Ding up the opposition's best wing player, like Zach Levine against uh, Chicago, although Levine did have a nice night against the Nuggets. So I don't expect the Nuggets to really switch up anything. Should they? I mean, I think Wancho is the best fit with those guys. I guess it really only matters if he's closing games, but the Nuggets want to get off to better starts than their first quarter against the Cavs. Maybe a little more offense in that starting lineup wouldn't hurt. Let's go ahead and take another break. On the other side, we'll hit on some more fact or fiction topics right here on the BSN Nuggets podcast. When it comes to quality craft beer, there is no place quite like Colorado. And Colorado Keg House embraces the true essence of that, providing 75 Colorado craft beers on tap. The most unique thing about Colorado Keg House is how many beers they have on tap. I mean, there's simply a beer for everyone. They change them out regularly, and it's, it's great Colorado craft beer. I've been going there for about two years now, and I'm never disappointed. That was Lindsay, and like she mentioned, Colorado Keg House rotates their inventory each week to bring you new flavors. They also offer a great selection of Colorado wines and spirits, so you can sit back, relax, and enjoy any sport you wish on one of their 27 TVs. My favorite thing about Colorado Keg House is the atmosphere. You can bring whatever food that you want to eat in there, and they have a million TVs, it feels like. It's not a bad seat in the house, and they've got extremely comfy couches that you can sit on and hang out with your friends and just kick back. It's, it's a great atmosphere. If you're a Colorado beer lover and you haven't checked out Colorado Keg House in Broomfield, do yourself a favor and head over there today. And don't forget to mention BSN to receive 20% off your order. Welcome back to the BSN Nuggets podcast presented by In We Go Harrison Wynn, Christian Clark recording here Friday afternoon from Sports Column. Let's continue this fact or fiction game. The Nuggets will no longer play down to their competition and lose to bad teams. Fact or fiction? I think they're, they've kicked the habit 
I'm I'm a believer, man. I mean, uh, I guess looking back, the Kings might not even be a bad team this year, which is kind the of the Kings weird are one of their better wins on the year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, the Suns are pretty clearly a bad team. The Bulls and the Cavaliers are trash. I mean, no question about it. They're terrible. Are um, all things considered, the Kings might be their third best win of the year. Probably goes Warriors, Clippers, Kings. Yeah. I mean, because if you think about it, the Pelicans didn't have Anthony Davis for that game, like it should have easily won that game. They might be their third best one of the year. That's hilarious. I think Gary Harris, you know, said it best, or he summed it up pretty succinctly, at least. He said, there's just a different vibe around this team this year. What does that mean? Well, I think part of it means Michael Malone refusing to, to show any satisfaction after any of these wins. I love it, too. I do, too, man. I love it. They they have the long game in mind, and they are not they're not moving an inch from that stance. Yeah, N- like nothing is going to matter to them until they've locked down a playoff spot this year, I think. I mean, and that's the right mentality to have because I think after some big wins the last two years and the Nuggets have been – you know, pretty good against good teams the last couple of years. There's been some letdown, which has led to, you know, poor performances against poor teams. The Nuggets are staying steadier, um, I think, this year. They're not getting as high, and they're not getting as low. What do you think if they get out to, like, a 20-1 and mark? You think Michael Malone will budge a little bit? Like, yeah, we're, we're playing pretty well, actually. We've yeah, been pretty good. I mean, if they're 21, <laughs> Michael Malone is going to be feeling himself for sure. But yeah. <laughs> Understandably, he should be feeling himself if they get up to 21 and start. I agree, man. I think this is a fact. I think the Nuggets are over whatever bug or illness they had when they played down to their competition over the last couple of years. There could be quarters, maybe halves, where they still do that. But I really do believe for a large part they've kicked that habit. The biggest reason... you know. There's never one main reason why a team overcomes something like this. Look, everybody's a year older, but I do always come back to them losing that game 82 last year. And yeah, it's a nice little cliche that the media can hang on to and say, yeah, they just, you know, they were so upset about losing game 82. They really dedicated themselves this summer. They really came back with a fire and a passion and just a want to be better and more committed because they knew, obviously, that losing against all those bad teams last year was one of the main reasons why they missed the playoffs. I really think that's true, though. You talk to Will Barton, you talk to Paul Millsap, you talk to Mike Malone, Jamal Murray, all these guys say that losing that game 82 in Minnesota lit a fire under them and really just inspired them to work hard this summer, just come into training camp focused, come into the season focused, and that's what they've done. So they're a year older, and I really do believe that them losing that game had a lasting impact. They have a much fuller understanding of what it takes to be, you know, a 50-win team in this league, I think, and a team that's going to be comfortably in the playoffs again in just a brutal, brutal Western Conference. You know, it, it just requires close to 100% effort game in and game out for, from this Nuggets roster, and I think for the most part we've seen that so far. I mean, I think you're totally right. They were toughened by that game 82 loss. They were hardened by it. They were forced to mature a little bit after all of it. And, I mean, this is exactly the response you were looking for after, you know, the adversity at the end of last season. Having Paul Millsap healthy helps too. And that was one of the things I always pointed to when people were looking for reasons why they dropped these games. 
I really do feel like a reason was that they didn't have Millsap's veteran presence. They didn't have a guy last year who could bring everybody together in the locker room or at halftime when things weren't going their way and say, hey, we're the Denver Nuggets. We're a much better team than the Sacramento Kings. He could point at Jamal Murray and say, you are a much better player than De'Aaron Fox. Gary Harris, you're a much better player than Buddy Hilt. Nicole Jokic, you're a much better player than Willie Cauley-Stein. Just play your game and we'll be fine. They did not have a guy last year that could do that and bring everybody together in that regard. Now they do, and he's also just a calming presence on the floor. Obviously, what he does on defense is great. Offensively, too, you know, people will kind of chide him for the mid-range jumpers he takes and the difficult shots he puts up, but he's a calming presence to these guys on that end. So I think all those factors are reasons why I do believe they're over losing to bad teams. Last one here. Factor fiction. Gary Harris is closer to being the Nuggets' best player right now than their third best player. Do you just mean like the best player through these first eight games? Yeah, just not even through these first eight games, but just right now. He's closer to being their best player than their third best player. Fact or fiction? I mean, I think Nicole Jokic is clearly their, their best player over right. the long haul. Um, Harrison and Millsap, in my mind, have been almost identical to each other in terms of their impact this year. I mean, Millsap has been you know probably one of the five most impactful defensive players in basketball so far and he's had three good games in a row on the offensive end Gary obviously does it on both ends and you know he's carried the Nuggets offense in stretches here and the thing that that's you know most remarkable to me about this early stretch of games for Gary is that he's been able to do all this on offense without even hitting his three-point shots I mean this wouldn't have seemed plausible um you know even two years ago I think his handle has come so far in you know last season there were strides and then this year he leveled up once again I mean he's gotten so good with that between the legs crossover move he's gotten so good with that behind the back move um he got a, a Cavs defender I can't remember who last night ended it again but he's just so in control was it so David Nwaba? I don't I don't think it was him but um uh, I think it's Nicola and then Millsap and Gary are 2-2A two and two a in my mind. I think Gary's been better than Millsap this year just in the aggregate. So I'm going to say he's closer to being the Nuggets' best player right now than their third best player. I think you could make an argument either way because he's done it on offense, but I've noticed that Gary Harris is a much improved defender this year. I tweeted out a clip of a play, defensive possession, from this Cavs game the other night where Gary Harris comes over from defending his man who's in the corner, comes over to the strong side and helps out on a post up. And then in about a second or two sprints back over to his man in the corner, closes out and then forces a turnover or doesn't force a turnover, but forces, you know, a loose ball that goes out of bounds. He's playing like a free safety out there. And it's a nice little metaphor because we know Gary Harris came up as a football player and will go to his grave saying he could have made the NFL and thinks he was a better football player than basketball player in high school. But he's playing like a free safety out there, just closing down airspace super quickly, 
generating steals like he always does. I think he's been really good on the ball at times and even better off the ball. He pretty much closed that Pelicans game with his defense. I mean, he got two steals towards the end of it. I mean, Gary was one of the best steals players in basketball last year. But, yeah, I think we are seeing, you know, a little more consistent effort from him on that end. And that's not to say, you know, he wasn't trying that hard last year on the defense. But he's he's been awesome on both ends. And go look at his on-off numbers. They reflect that. I'm no longer putting a ceiling on Gary Harris, offensively or defensively. It'd be foolish. He's fooled us. He's uh, made us look bad two years in a row now. It'd be foolish to put a ceiling on his offense. I'm I'm waiting for somebody to really dig into, you know, what Gary does in the summers to get better. Because whenever you ask him, like, "Hey, man, how did you add this to your game?" He's like, "Ah, oh, just got in the gym, man." You know, <laughs> like, I don't think that he really wants to, like, you know, tell the media about, you know, all the ways he's trying to get better. But I, I think it's pretty clear that Gary is putting a ton of time in on his game in the summers. It for sure is. What are the chances in your mind that Gary Harris makes an all-star team in the Western Conference before his career is over? Ooh. Like, um, give me a percentage, 1 to 100. 51%. Okay, I like it. I don't know if you know this. I have a long-standing bet with a certain radio host in Denver that Gary Harris will make an all-star team. Who? I don't want to say. Okay. <laughs> I don't want to say. You can look at my tweets and probably find it. But I do have a long-standing bet. I think he can be an all-star. I thought he probably would have been an all-star in the Eastern Conference if he had gone there, what that trade the Nuggets were trying to do for oh, Kevin Love. If had he was on the through. Pacers, he would have made the all-star team. Yeah, he would have been like Victor Oladipo last year. Uh, but in the West, it's going to be tougher. But, hey, if the Nuggets are a three-seed, when people submit their all-star ballots – like, typically, teams that are in the top three of the conference, it's not out of the question that they'd have two all-star representatives. But then again, the Western Conference is so tough. There's so many guards that you could just write in on your all-star ballot. It'll be tough this year. Maybe next year is the year. I think that's all the time we got for today. Thanks for listening, guys. If you have a take, if you got a question about the show, Total Beverage Fan Hotline is 1-800-BSN-8394. 1-800-BSN-8394. Enjoy the Jazz game on Saturday, and we'll be back with another episode on Monday. Talk with you then.